What is up, PGA enthusiasts? We are back with another week of making some money. Uh, we're off to a pretty a pretty good start this week. I don't know if you guys follow us on Twitter. Uh, Spencer was lights out, as he always is. He was all over Rory. And, of course, you know, Rory came through. Um, but, you know, because he earned this, you know, as for our loyal listeners, uh, Rory Sabatini at one point did become the Rory of the show. But Rory McIlroy has earned that that crown back. When we say Rory, we are now referring back to Rory McIlroy, uh, the winner of last week's tournament. Um, and then this week we're heading over to Japan. Uh, it'll, be a, it'll be a fun, interesting, new dynamic. We do have a little bit of data on this course. Uh, they've played here two years ago before covid but not a lot. So we're going to give you what we have, and then we're going to kind of work off that and kind of pick some of our plays based off of um, the factors that we can, right? And the the first and main thing to think about, it's another no-cut event. So 78-man field. Uh, we get four days, which, you know, it, it kind of – I kind of think the no-cut events are more exciting. But don't just take my word for it. Let's hear what my, as always, trusted co-hosts have to say. See ya, Spencer. How you guys doing tonight? I'm doing well, Jolt. I'm happy to be back here again with you guys on this show. I mean, as you mentioned, I just want to add a quick viewpoint on Rory last week. I think it's important for everyone listening to realize that recency bias shouldn't be the reason you make a decision for or against a player. My data ranked Rory as the second best golfer for the event, including being the number one total driver in my recalculated model to fit the Summit Club. So the more you can make the model your own when you build it, I think that the bigger advantage you can have on the field to doing that. But uh, I'm happy to be here this week. I I guess I'm on the opposite end of the aisle where I prefer cut tournaments just because I am such a big head-to-head better. Uh, But any golf is better than, you know, not having golf. That's fair. You know, Spencer, you know me. I'll find a way to convince myself of anything. So if this is a no-cut event, I like no-cut events. Next week, I'll probably change my tune. But I'm just telling myself just to have some fun for the week. See, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. Um, You know, it's funny. As far as the no-cut event versus a cut event, I think I prefer prefer the, the cut events which are obviously predominant, but I do like this sort of break where I get like four guaranteed days. It's like a little less stressful on for whatever reason on a Wednesday night on, on a Friday afternoon. So while I enjoy the cut events a little bit more, like I, I do like the respite that we get with a couple here, a couple there where it's like, all right, my guys are going to survive four days. And even if they're bad day one and or day two, I've got a potential, you know, day three, awesome day to like make up for it. So I don't know. It's interesting. I'm definitely excited about this field. So I did the be the number pod. Joel, you did it last week with Spencer. Um, I did it with uh, Spencer this week and he has some like really interesting contrarian plays that I'm really interested to like dive into. I'm interested, Joel, what your thoughts on, on maybe they're not contrarian to you in, in, in the sense that maybe you were on these guys anyway, a few of them. I certainly wasn't, but now I am. So the one thing I will say, though, is I'm really disappointed in DraftKings. The contest selection is kind of garbage. Like, I'm doing my best. I'm playing a handful of tournaments. Don't get me wrong. But it's like, really? You don't have the resources to – like, there's clearly the marketplace is there. I mean, it's not – you know, I know we had overlay a few weeks ago, but it was, like, barely overlay. So it's just one of those things where they probably could add three or four more contests in there, just kind of like those medium entry contests that everybody can kind of join, $15, $20, 30, another 33 in there. Um, super disappointed in DraftKings for that. I understand it's NFL season, but it was not this bad last year. Well, I, what it is, is it's, I think they have some sort of algorithm based off how much people play and players. So 
it's because not just NFL, but like NBA is back and hockey. And there's just so many other games going on that like, you know, there's a point in the year where like golf is the main event and there's not much else going on. And during that season where we get at all the tournaments we want. And right now it's probably just like they have the B team making the golf events, right? Like it's just not something they're focusing on, which I know I agree with you. That is pretty disappointing, but there's still enough there for us to go get it. And I do feel the need to be a little bit transparent about my, uh, my reasoning around the no cut events. Uh, last week I was having a terrible week going into Sunday. I was limited, not, didn't have one lineup cashing. And then I got a hot Sunday and like, I still didn't have a great week, but like I made some money back, right? A bunch of my guys did well and moved me up. So I was like, in a cut event, I wouldn't have even had enough guys do the cut to even get anything on a Sunday. And on Sunday, I, I wouldn't do it knowing I wasn't doing well and I had a pretty good day. So now I'm like, all right, no cut events. I'm, I'm alive. So that's where I'm coming from on that. But I, I, next to it, I'm excited. You know, you gave me a good tease on some of uh, Spencer's, maybe for a lack of a better word, contrarian plays. So I'm looking forward to hearing that. But, but before we do that, uh, let's start off with um, the course breakdown. So for me this week, um, the biggest factor that's maybe different than most weeks is driving distance, right? I'm looking for some bombers. Uh, we want guys that can get it out there. That's going to be my differentiator. Of course, as always, we're not only playing bombers, right? But that's going to be the edge. I'm looking for guys who can definitely uh, have some power. Um, outside of that, maybe a little bit of, uh, more out factor around the green game than normal. Um, putting seems to be uh, a factor here. But I think the biggest leverage on my end I'm looking at is going to be um, distance off the tee for sure. How about you, Sia? What are you looking at here? It's interesting because I'm not as – and for the record, I've heard I've heard plenty regarding distance and, and just good, valid opinions on that. I'm not as big on that. Um, I understand that the rough is not penal, but I do think it's the type of course – and again, we only have one year of data here. We, we played here two years ago, and that's it. So there is a little a guesswork going on relative to some of these other events, but – I think being in the right place off the tee might be a little bit more important than people think. And so for me, I'm looking just for ball strikers, your guys that are going to be accurate, get it in the fairway and really be good on approach. So I'm looking for in particular guys who can really, or at least have the potential to pop on approach. I am looking for around the green a little bit as well. As far as putting is concerned, um, Spencer and I on the be the number pod, I sort of had a working theory that might not be workable at all that maybe because these greens are so perfectly manicured and taken care of that maybe it takes out a couple of the variables that tend to affect the bad putters and again I'm this is a little bit of guesswork for me but it, the reason I bring it up is because there are some people that I might otherwise avoid because their putting has just been so bad that I might actually include in my player pool this week. So, Joel, I don't know if you have a take on that. We, we know what these Japanese courses, the greens, uh, they're bent grass greens, we know they're just like perfectly taken care of and maybe a little bit more smooth than what we might see on just a regular PGA Tour event in the United States. So, uh, again, I don't know if my theory holds really any water. Um, I think Spencer, you know, when we talked about it on Be The Number Pod, Spencer, correct me if I'm wrong, it, I, I think you can kind of go both ways with it. Um, and I've talked to other people where I had opinions on both sides of it. So, uh, But that's essentially what I'm looking for. Of course, my detail on what I'm looking for is nowhere near what Spencer's detail is. So we'll see. Well, it is a nice way to tee it up. Without further ado, Spencer, please do break it down for us. How are you? Uh, how are you looking at the course this week? 
Yeah, so Narashino Country Club was originally built in 1976 and features an enclosed design. Fairways are of average width, but the venue as a whole emphasizes a substantial tree-lined nature where golfers will be required to move the ball in multiple directions because of the dog legs throughout the 18 holes. You can make an argument that the course is more tree-heavy than tree-lined because you do have a few yards on all sides for wayward tee shots, but I'm under the belief that accuracy is going to be more impactful than distance. That's where you and I are different this week, Joel, so I think it's going to make an intriguing show because we'll have two separate aisles here of what we're looking at, but um, you know, we kind of get some of that distance equation or lack of distance equation at, with this course being 7,041 yards. Now there is some hidden yardage I will talk about shortly, uh, but we have a very unique structure for the venue. We have an abnormal five par threes are all are below 200 yards. We have three par fives in total, all exceed 560 yards. And there are 10 par fours that all go over the map in length. Uh, if rounding up or down by a few yards, we essentially have four between 360 to 400. Five are very long and have some of that hidden distance I was talking about previously. That almost places us in the mindset of having to create two, two different uh, par four builds this week. One should be more birdie heavy. The other should include some weight on bogey avoidance since all the longer par fours carry over the 20% bogey uh, percentage rate this week. But from a statistical perspective, I started with a weighted par four that is built towards uh, the venue for 20%. That's going to include a combination of those key distances that I mentioned. I will also have a varying amount of birdie or better mixed in with bogey avoidance. I continued with that trend of trying to mimic the layout of the holes this week. So I have 10% on a weighted par three and 10% on a weighted par five. The par three is in place because anytime you have an outlier number of holes from the norm, it makes the stat more impactful. Um, four of the five are extremely gettable. The par five is a combination of overall par five birdie or better, some long iron play, and how a golfer has performed on longer par fives throughout their career. I did a weighted bentgrass category for 10%. That was 70% strokes gain total at bentgrass properties and 30% strokes gain uh, putting on bent grass. I like that combination because it added in some putting, but still kept the premier course fits up top. As Sia just mentioned, these greens are extremely well manicured and pure. Um, so I would rather find good ball strikers or the polar opposites on the putting scale. I think bad putters get a potential improvement to be neutral and the good putters legitimately might make everything. So I'm kind of looking for good or bad on that 15% weighted proximity. For the most part, that's just removing a lot of the 200 plus proximity ranges and recalculating the model to try and mimic some semblance of the venue this week. Sand safe percentage for 10%. There are a lot of bunkers that surround greens. Being able to get up and down should help salvage scores. Stroke scene total on par 70 courses for 10%. That is a statistic that is easily quantifiable and one that should pinpoint golfers that are at least like a shorter course. And then I weighted driving for 15%. Uh, that's where Joel and I are different, different on it. I use the combination of driving accuracy and fairways gain. So to make sense of that information, I'm trying to find golfers who have a game tailor made to find success at this venue. That's going to come from players that like the distances of these holes. Um, but, you know, as I told Sia on my show, be the number, the less data we have, the more I complicate the model. Part of that reason is because I'm trying to separate my research to be as unique as possible. And I think that's one of the ways I always go about it. And it worked last week, at least with Rory doing that uh, for the CJ Cup. And I'm going to try to take the same approach here. I love it. I love it. That is uh, super helpful. And it's definitely a good way to get your week started in terms of understanding, you know, how you're going to break down the tiers, who you're going to pick, like get an understanding of this course. Right? In, in your due diligence, I think... Spencer does the best job breaking down a course that I've heard anyone do, but you know, 
even if you don't listen to our show, which I don't know why you wouldn't be listening to us, we obviously have the best. Um, even if you don't, right, the, the first thing you need to do is understand exactly what Spencer told you, right? Understand the course, understand the tournament that you're breaking down. Then you can get an edge on, you know, how are you going to pick guys this week and, uh, you know, finding the the difference makers in the in the course and things like that. So with that being said, uh, we have the top tier. See ya. You want to kick us off? Uh, I think you're on mute. Thank you. So uh, what I was trying to say was my recommendation for people who just listen to Spencer and they, they listen to him every day, obviously, or every time we have a show or on Be The Number Pod or the Better Golf Podcast or many of the others. I think, did, Spencer, did you do one with Andy Lack as well this week? I did. Uh, it was a good show that we put together. We recapped everything. We talked about a little DraftKings, but it's a primarily a, a betting show. But yeah, I mean, Andy is is one of the best guys in this industry with everything he puts together. So uh, we have a bunch of information. You know, obviously some of it will intertwine with what we say on here or what I'm going to say on here. But yeah, I have a show out with Andy this week. So definitely make sure to check that out. Yeah, everybody, please check that out. And, and I bring it up because obviously you do a lot of stuff, which is great. But honestly, like I think everybody, when whichever show they listen to that Spencer's on, when he's breaking down his model, like put it on half speed, like like if you're listening to the podcast, like break open a, a bottle of wine and just like just pour a half a glass and just again half speed. So he's talking like maybe a little bit slower so you can absorb the information and just let it sink in. I mean, it's just. Such a beautiful thing. One other thing before I tell you who I like in this top tier. So PGA Tout is coming on with us next week, okay? PGA Tout is, for those of you that don't know, he's the guy that I think kind of puts out the first piece of literature on every, every single tournament that everybody's just, everybody, as far as I can tell, everybody in the industry kind of flocks to to get an understanding of, you know, what this course is. It, it comes out before anybody has a podcast out. It's just one of those things where everybody, it's, it's a beautiful reference point. He has some picks on there, whatever. So he was kind enough. He's been on our show before, as everybody knows, but uh, once before with uh, Jeff Feinberg and with Andy Lack, actually. Uh, but he's coming on next week. And he's not on any shows really. He just does his, his article and you know, he, he might spot start on a show here and there, but I just think it's kind of mysterious that this guy who is kind of an icon of the industry, in my opinion, he's just nowhere to be found. And that's, that's totally fine, but I want to pepper him with some questions next week and just try to figure out a little bit more about him. Go ahead, Joel. I think we found him. He's coming on our show next week. That's where he is. We found him. Well, we found him, but we need to find out a little bit more about him. So I, throughout this show, I'm going to come up with some questions that I want to ask PGA Tout next week when he comes on with us. So you might refer to me to like with some analysis, Joel, and I might just completely divert the conversation. I'll be like, hey, what do you guys think of this question? Because I just think he's, he's such a nice guy. I, we need to learn more about him. And for the record, if I'm short on analysis... Hey, check out the Be The Number pod. I'm on there. You know, you can check check out Spencer with Andy Lack. You know, there, there's plenty of, of us that have done plenty of shows already this week. And you guys obviously um, are super successful. So if I'm a little short on analysis this week, it's only because I'm trying to be creative and think of some cool stuff. With that said, in this elite range, I like two guys. But I like one a lot, okay? And it's Colin Morikawa. Duh, he's obviously the most expensive guy. I'm not really saying anything super controversial here. But hey, first of all, he does have experience on this course. He did play here two years ago. He had a pretty good finish. It was 22nd overall, which is fine, given Colin Morikawa of two years ago kind of just breaking out. Uh, with that said, he had like kind of a small injury issue, you know, through the tour championship, I should say through the FedEx cup playoffs. And, and therefore he had some bad results, but it, he clearly at, at the CJ cup showed that he's fully rebounded. And in this field, to me, there's only five or six guys that can likely contend with 
the type of golfer that Colin Morikawa is. I don't mind paying the price. Uh, it does make lineups a little hard to construct, but if I have to choose one in this elite range, it's definitely Colin Morikawa. I think Xander is a somewhat distant second, but a solid second place for me. And then from there, it's just kind of whatever. Like Will Zalatoris, if his ownership happens to be low, that's fine. Uh, maybe maybe a share or two, but it's really just Colin or Bust up here for me. I think that's fair. Um, I think that's very fair. The thing, the, the thing I'm struggling with with this top tier is um, – that they all seem to have pretty high ownership. And right now, early look, which uh, makes it tough. I do think there's an edge. I do think these are the best golfers. I, I do think there's a bit of a gap. But um, at this ownership, I just think as an overall lineup construction, I think it's, you know, I can get more more favorable ownership from a GPP perspective uh, and being more balanced in the long end. The problem is, you know, I do like Colin. I mean, he, he played well last week. Um, he's probably the best golfer in this field. So I'm with you on Morikawa. It's hard to get away from him. Um, I think the next two best guys that I would like in this field, actually the next three are, are right there. I think it is. It's Alexander. I, I like, uh, um, I like Zalatoris and I like Hideki. All three of them I can understand playing here. Uh, but at this point it's like, listen, at this price with this ownership, I'm just going to have to make a, uh, gambling decision right so this is where i said this isn't like a decision i'm making because i want the best golfers for this tournament this decision i'm making is my best chance to win a lot of money here is to probably not to play too many of these guys and so you know i'm playing it that way i'm probably just gonna have to pick maybe one and move on number one for me is morikawa i do think the next three guys are in play but i think there's a bigger gap between morikawa so that's what i'll hone in on and we'll just have to get different elsewhere um before i pass it to spencer i'll say one more thing about pga tout I as I'm pretty excited for next week for him coming on because when I really first started getting into golf and the DFS side, the very first person I was like, you know, I need more information. Where can I find more information? I go on Twitter and PGA Tout is spraying out all this information, and I'm like, oh, this guy's got some pretty useful stuff. Start following him. I start getting on station again. See, like you said, like no idea who he was. I just like these are good tweets. I'm I'm following him along, Uh, and now fast forward about maybe 12 to 18 months and he's coming on to do a show with me. So it's funny how far you can come, right? The first person I ever followed on Twitter for golf and now he's coming on the show to do it with us. So that's a fun little experience for me. Joel, as your uh, attorney of record, um, (laughs) you have won hundreds of thousands of dollars in golf. And now what you have done is basically said to yourself that you owe some of that to PGA Town. So now he's <laughs> going to come on here next week with his attorney and he's going to ask for like a 10% fee or something. So be ready for that. Yeah. So uh, I told him that I would commit to sharing my losses with him. Moving. Oh, forward. that I, I committed to yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Spence, who are you looking at here at the top range? Uh, one thing on PGA Tout that I will say before we move on to it is that he is one of the best self-made people. Like a lot of people, like e- even myself included, like I was doing it on my own for a little bit and then I got into Roto Baller and things like that, but he's doing everything himself. So it's very impressive uh, that he's has as many followers as he has with it. So credit to him with that. But as far as this tournament is concerned, uh, pricing is really good throughout. And maybe that has more to do with the fact that the field is watered down at the very bottom. Our two top choices are both sub eight to one to win the event in the betting market. And ownership is following a similar trend of them being the two highest projected owned players on the slate. Uh, the problem with that is not only do I think it is somewhat warranted, but I also have a hard time figuring out how they don't at least stay competitive in the 78 man no cut field where the bottom drops off quickly. 
And, and that is where we run into this quandary of attempting to figure out what makes sense. Uh, before I get into them a little further, Hideki Matsuyama and Will Zalatoris are fine on the surface, um, but there isn't a big enough drop-off in ownership or price for me to want to pivot in a separate direction. I'd want at least one of those things to be true, and I don't think either will be the case in Japan. Uh, as far as Morikawa and Xander are concerned, I guess if you made me pick between the two, I prefer Xander because he, I think he's overall a little bit safer. Uh, but you can get very contrarian very quickly, as Joel was saying, if you skip the big four and build in another direction. It's going to be a volatile process of doing that because if one of them wins, you're going to have a losing week. And I'm not saying that's the route I would go completely because I do like Xander and Morikawa up top. Um, but I don't believe it hurts to think outside of the box with roster construction. But as is the case with me during most weeks, I do like a player a lot more than most DFS users, which is Tommy Fleetwood at 10,000. It doesn't quite equal what I said with Rory last week because Tommy isn't as good of a ball striker as he was a few years ago. Uh, but I wanted to go into that a little deeper when looking at this just this course. So Fleetwood is 37th for me out of 78 players when it comes to strokes gain approach. But when I condense the proximity numbers to equal more of what he should get this weekend at this venue, he grades eighth in this field. We can say he's overpriced at $10,000, which I think is questionable at best. But I love this spot if the industry wants to look in every direction but him. Fleetwood on foreign soil has always been where he has thrived best. Uh, I think you can get very contrarian either starting with him. Uh, I think that, you know, it, it's one of those spots where you roster. C and I talked about this a little bit. Roster construction gets very weird if you try to cram two of them in together. But. The thing with that is, is if you do try to do that and you uh, cram Fleetwood in, I don't think anybody's taking that route. So you're already different from the start there. But I think there's a lot of contrarian builds to be done with Fleetwood, whether he's the first guy in or, you know, you try to get cute with him and put him as the second guy in. Because there are $6,000 golfers in a no-cut tournament that um, we'll get to that I think have some upside. But Fleetwood is my preferred play this week. Similar thought process for why I liked Rory last week. Um, just model really likes him. And I think anytime my model likes him, it's a reason that I have to dive a little bit deeper. I'm intrigued. I the, I haven't heard much interest in Fleetwood this week. I, I'll be honest with you. The first reaction I had looking at Fleetwood was like, that's a lot of money for a guy that hasn't done much lately. Um, but I think you made a lot of good points. I think if you want to dive a little deeper, and I think that's, again, why we go back to why course breakdown is so important. I think looking at some of those more advanced metrics and maybe a proximity shots and things like that, uh, there might be an edge there. So, uh, and especially at the ownership, like, like I said, my biggest concern at this top range was that all oh, these guys were pretty high owned, but Fleetwood isn't. So that is a way to get pretty unique. So, all right, I'm intrigued. And hey, if you're if you're telling me this is like your Rory pick last year, I'd be a fool not to follow it. So, well, first of all, I mean, speaking of Rory, Spencer, give me your outright record over the last like I think you you qualified it over the last like ten or fifteen tournaments. You've picked how many outrights in in how many weeks? Uh, yeah, so it's been six outright wins in the last 14 tournaments, 10 in the previous 34. Um, you know, golf betting is obviously a lot more than just futures betting if you want to maintain and build a bankroll. But it's been a really hot run for me. And these sort of win streaks go a long way as an added boost when I mostly focus on building through a safer approach in markets like head-to-heads, top 40s, and things of that nature. And anytime you can have over a 70% ROI during a season, betting anything, that's about as absurd as you can find. And with outrights being the bigger chunks when they come in at once, it's a substantial amount. So uh, it's made it a really good year for me. And yeah, six of 14 is uh, I, the best run I've ever been on before.
So Joel, just real quick, I just think it's funny because Spencer's so humble and he doesn't like to boast, which is why that never would have come up. But he actually inserted the word absurd in there, which <laughs> is just funny because it actually is. But he said it with like no vigor whatsoever. It's just like it is kind of absurd. So anyway, it really is absurd. So my compliments. No, I was going to double down on that. I, for those of you, if you just play DFS, maybe you don't bet as much and you don't understand. Picking outrights in a golf tournament is extremely difficult. This like. Most people would say if they pick one in a year, that's a um, that's a good year. Like they got one right. The fact that Spencer's picked ten in the last thirty four is actually insane. It's it's a it's an unreal record to have, uh, and it's at a point where it's like if you can hit anywhere near that type of clip, just follow him everywhere. Just pick bet on whoever he's telling you to bet on. If you hit at a ten in the thirty four clip, you are going to be a rich man by the end of the year. And and I've said it before. I mean, that's not coming with a ton of exposure. Like I only spread across a unit into my wagers for the most part that's usually to win between eight and 12 so that's not some of those cards that you get out there in the industry where you have like five favorites and there's four units in action to win like 10 units like it it is spread out in a way where like that is very substantial to hit six to 14 tournaments i'll, I'll even add one more thing to that if you're someone who likes betting like futures right and if you bet on like a team to win the nba championship or the nfl championship there's only 30 teams or 32 teams in the NBA or NFL. There's 78 to 150 golfers in every tournament. And not only that, it's not like there's teams like the Lakers that happen to have the three best players. So it's like there's really only four NBA teams you could bet on, right? In golf, 70% of the pool is in play. So uh, the fact that you're hitting at that type of a clip on something like this, like think about how hard it is to hit a future on a team to win an NBA or NFL championship. To hit that type of frequency on these golf tournaments is literally insane. So uh, – I'm I've, I'm sold. I mean, I just follow whoever you're playing. I'm in on. Let's. I'm I'm here to make the money. So I I'm glad I get to do a show with you and get all the information. And our listeners, you're right here with us. Well, I, um, I appreciate it, guys. Yeah. And by the way, it's not literally insane. It's it's literally figuratively insane. <laughs> um, sorry. Uh, okay. So Charlie, EF Hutton. So I don't think you two understand what the EF Hutton reference is. Correct. You don't know what that reference is, right? No, I, okay, I don't know so what that is you have to be 40 or older uh, and likely from the East Coast. I don't know if those commercials aired on the West Coast as well, but that's why I love that obscure reference. Like he knew writing that, that I was probably, or maybe nobody would get that and he still put it in there. So Charlie, thanks for listening. Speaking of age, before we get to the 9K range, I think we have to, before I ask him, the bevy or we ask him the bevy of questions next week. I think we have to find out either how old he is or if he's bashful to tell us maybe like some sort of age range. Cause I want to ask him some like stuff, like what's your favorite mood, like that music, but like, you know, he's might be so far removed from my age. I might not even like understand the answers or appreciate them. So that's going to be like the first question right off the bat for PGA town. Anyway, uh, carry on. Sorry. I, I would assume, I mean, this is a guess here. I would assume he's in his mid twenties, I guess. Ooh. Oh, let's well, now we have to guess. Well, Charlie, I believe it has no, to be not Charlie, there. not Charlie, PGA Tout. Oh, PGA Tout, got it. Okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm guessing he is 31 years old. Just a guess. Ooh, Joel? I'm, I'm gonna go with the under on that. I'm gonna say 29. Oh, interesting. All well, right. I'll take the under to both of those. I mean, I was thinking between 25 and like that 20 nine range but i'll take the under to 29 to make it interesting uh, you're getting plus money on the under yeah. there so it's a good bet it's good value well all right, all right. making a good value well if we just learned anything table. it seems like spencer usually wins these bets so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but here we are moving on to the uh, 9k range uh spencer why don't you kick us off here yeah so my favorite play is probably joaquin neiman at nine thousand nine hundred dollars 
He's gone ice cold with the putter recently, but my viewpoint has remained the same for him over the last few months. He's gained with his irons in 14 of 16, off the tee in 11 of 13, and I doubt the ownership would ever get high enough for me to pivot elsewhere. In reality, there are countless ways to use him. Uh, the two most unique examples I will give on here, you could plug him in with Fleetwood as your second man, or there is a route of diversifying builds completely and just starting him as your first choice if you're trying to bypass that first group altogether. Uh, the rest of this uh, $9,000 range is more of a mix and match for me. I do like the section as a whole, but the majority are fairly priced options that become intriguing because of their reduced ownership number compared to my model. Alex Noren carries some of that Tommy Fleetwood type appeal at 9,700. I like Eric Van Royen fine at 9,500. Um, I'll let Sia have the Keegan Bradley floor with that because I know he likes him, but I do think in GPPs, you can certainly do a lot worse than him, uh, especially because of these greens. I think some of his putting woes could get reduced there. Cameron Tringali is worth a look in all builds. Uh, my model prefers him in cash, but if he's going to be 5 to 10%, that puts him in a play across the board. Uh, I do like Grio for the reasons I just mentioned about Bradley, but the ownership is starting to get a little heavy for my liking. I believe Keegan is likely a better pivot for that reason, but these will just be guys that I'm kind of filling and fitting into lineups uh, from a contrarian standpoint because I do think I can find an edge with it. Uh, but some of my favorite plays, or at least maybe my favorite play, comes in the $8,000 range. So um, they're just going to be mix and matches for me. I like it. I find this range to be strange. Uh, I just think some of the guys that they chose to put here didn't make sense. I thought there were guys in the AK range that they could have swapped that I think would have actually more aligned. So I just think it's a weird range. Uh, I, a few guys I'm looking at, you know, for me, I, I, I like, I thought I would, let me rephrase how I'm saying this. I really wanted to play Alex Noren coming in. Uh, then when I saw his price tag, I was like, whoa, that's, I didn't think that was going to be so high. So, you know, knowing that I wanted to play him coming in, I might still put a few shares in there, but I was planning to play Alex Noren as like a middling golfer, not one of my top tiered guys. So with that being said, I'm not sure how much exposure I'll end up with on him. I'm with you on Van Ruyen. I think he's interesting. He's playing well. Another one that I just would have liked a thousand dollars cheaper. Um, Tringale, I think you, I think I, I prefer him in a cash type of build. He does have a bit of limited upside, I but agree. like you said, if that ownership remains this low under 10% in a no cut event like this, he's worth taking a shot on a, on any type of field. Um, the one guy you didn't mention is that I'm intrigued by is Maverick McNeely. Uh, he's a guy that's been pretty consistent. And he's a similar vein to me as Tringali in that I think I would prefer McNeely in a safer cash pl type play than I would in a GPP, especially at this price. But, um, you know, he's, you know, it's, I think they're just both pretty similar. So I guess I would probably play the one that ends up with a, with a lower ownership. Really fast before you kick that over to Sia, it's funny you say that. I made that same exact example when I talked to Sia on Be The Number. Uh, I think McNeely is a really savvy cash play this week, and, and I think him and Tringali kind of fit best in that sort of a build. Yeah, I would I would agree. Uh, Sia, who are you looking at up here? Yeah, I'll keep it short here. I, I think I'm probably going to end up taking some shots on Joaquin Neiman. I, he wasn't really in my the original conversation for me, but I do like his upside quite a bit. The, the problem with Neiman is, A, the putter's been failing him a little bit, and honestly, the ball striking has always been good, but usually he's he's failing somewhere. Like, off the tee, he's great, but approach, you know, is is pedestrian, and then it's the opposite the next term, and then the putter's failing or around the green. So, But I, I do think he I, we might be close to him putting the game together. And if he does it here in this field, 
Um, he definitely has some some outright equity, I think. So I, I like Neiman. Um, I like Keegan Bradley a lot. And I also like Rio. And it's for the exact same reasons. Although Rio is probably going to have a little bit of a tougher time with the putter than Keegan. But Keegan checks out. He checks every box to me. He's pretty he's better than average in pretty much every metric I, I looked at. The ball striking is there around the green game is pretty good. The putter is about average in this field. Um, so I like him quite a bit. I think maybe. Wait, before we move on from uh, Keegan. There's been a, a trend say, over the last couple months. You have loved Keegan. He is now. You have had this affinity for the last couple months, where it's like every tournament, no matter where he's priced, cheap, expensive. Mm-hmm. You're just like Keegan. I got to be playing Keegan. What happened? Where now you're? Where, where did this new Keegan affinity come from? The problem is when you know how you know how modeling works, right? So like he showed up as the number one or number two in my model for like three months straight, basically like last summer ish. And I think that sort of like subconsciously like filtered into my hippocampus where now I'm like, Oh, he's the best golfer on the planet. It's just, (laughs) it's his time. Like he's going to prove it. And like, obviously that's a ridiculous notion, but like at at the same time, again, it comes down to this field more than anything. 9,400 is a lot, but is he going to win? No, nah, probably not. But it's just this type of course where you don't have to be particularly long. You know, if you keep it in the fairway and if you're good on approach and you're pretty good at everything else, you, you got a shot to top five here. And so that's sort of what I'm looking at with Keegan because he checks all those boxes. He's, you know, it's one of those things where sometimes guys who are good in the models just don't end up like coming through for you, or at least in my models, I speak for myself. So it's one of those things where I, I say it with some hesitation, but again, in this field, this could be the field where Keegan Bradley comes in and says, I actually, I got a shot here. So, but as far as the nine K range, that's pretty much it. Like I said, I like Grio, but if his ownership ends up being high, I'm out on him. Whereas with Keegan, I'll probably play him regardless. And then uh, of course, Joaquin Neiman, I think has the requisite upside to play. So that's it for me in the nine K range. I like it. I like it. Um, well, head down to the eight K range. I know Spence, you said you were really teeing some guys up here, your favorite play. So you you drop the tease. You kick us off. Who do you like here in the AK range? Yeah, I'll start with some of the guys that are not two of my favorite plays, but guys that I think that are at least notable to mention. So Jonathan Vegas at 8,900 and Lee at 8,700. I think they're very much in play for cash. Um, you could rotate the group in GPPs also, but the best value for me is coming from a cash game perspective for them. Each ranks inside the top eight in that sort of a build. I'm not necessarily jumping for joy with CT Pan at $8,800. I wish he would have been in the $7,000 range. My model thinks he's a fine value, but at some point, CT Pan at 20% ownership and $8,800 does worry me a little bit. Uh, Carlos Ortiz at $8,600. He was the number one golfer in my model through three rounds last week at the CJ Cup when looking at just off the tee and approach. Uh, The short game remains in shambles for him, Uh, but the ball striking has been good for a handful of months now. Charlie Hoffman, um, I'll let Sia talk about him. I think he's worth a deeper dive at 8,500. But my two favorite plays are Ryan Palmer at 8,300. And my favorite play is Chris Kirk at 8,100. So I'll start with Palmer. Uh, His form's been shaky with multiple missed cuts in his last handful of showings. Uh, But that's something I'm willing to ignore because of how he fits for this course. He ranks 10th in this field over his past 50 rounds on short par 70 layouts and is also inside the top 20 for weighted proximity putting from five to 10 feet and overall birdie or better percentage. And as I, as I mentioned, Kirk is one of my favorite plays in this entire event. I believe the stats are better than his form would indicate. And it's the same thought process. I just mentioned with Palmer, how the shorter makeup should give him more of an upside. He's gained with his irons in eight of nine starts. He ranks first in my model and par for average and overall bogey avoidance. And he's also inside the top five in scrambling 
three putt percentage, proximity, and par three average. Uh, he is the largest disparity in my model when it comes to my rank versus his price tag of anybody we have talked about so far. I am I am surprised because that was going to be my play that was different. And the fact what? that you had him too, I'm like, whoa, it's a good thing. that It's like, all right, there's something we're both seeing. But yeah, I didn't think anyone else was going to mention Ryan Palmer. I thought I was going to come in and be like some super, but no, there we are. We both like Ryan Palmer. So uh, I'll, since I just said that, I'll, I'll kind of go next. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I really like Ryan Palmer. I think his proximity numbers here look really good. Um, his ownership looks like, you know, single percent, which is great. Um, and then when you start getting down like to this AK range, after the upper tier, I don't see a big difference between any of these guys. So I actually feel like this is a more than a fair price for Ryan Palmer. Uh, I would if they had swapped him, you know, with the low kit 9K guys, I still would have thought it was a misprice, but I think all those guys are mispriced. So I'll take the guy who's at least down here uh, and a little bit more affordable. Um, so, yeah, I think he is upside. Ryan Palmer is the type of guy, who, he is boomer bust. Like he, I wouldn't play him as a cash type play, but like, He's the type of guy that will get you a top 15, top 10, or he'll probably, like, you know, be 50th. But, uh, I mean, GSP, these GPPs, those are the types of guys you target low-owned with that upside. Um, I, I do like Vegas a lot. He's one of the guys that if we did a good chalk, bad chalk segment, he would be good chalk for me. I think just a lot of what he does suits well for this course. Um, so that's someone I'm looking to get overweight on. And 8900 I actually think that's a more than fair price for him. Uh, and that's that's a price that I'd be willing to take on over most of these guys in the 9K range. Um, and then, you know, to kind of finish this off, I think Lanto Griffin could be interesting. Again, he looks like a pretty low ownership. Um, his, you know, recent form is there. He's been playing pretty well. And at the price that we can get him, I think he's a, I think he's a, it's a good fair price for him. The only guy that, uh, other guy I want to mention here that didn't come up yet is Matt Wallace, who, you know, has a tie for 14th the last time out the Shriners. Um, he does have good, you know, a lot of the metrics will speak to him and 8K is affordable. His ownership is fair. My only concern with Wallace is I don't know how much upside he has. Like, I, I don't think he's a guy that's going to win the tournament. But at this price, he doesn't need to be your winner. Right? If he gets you 10th place, right, that could be a guy that, that 10th to 12th place would be good enough for his price. So um, that's how I'm looking at this range. See, how about you? Yeah, I like a lot of the guys you mentioned, so I'll be quick here too. I mean, Jonathan Vegas, I like. If he ends up being super highly owned, I, I may have to pivot off, but I think he's a great cash game player, and I, you know, I, I wouldn't mind him in GPP. KH Lee is probably the next guy down that I like. Extensive experience on on Japanese. He's South Korean, but he has extensive experience on Japanese courses. He's been playing really well. I mean, if you just look at his last seven or eight tournaments, he's making cuts. He's he's in the top twenty-five in, in quite more more than. He's, he's been inside the top 25 more often than not over the last seven tournaments, which is pretty telling, in my opinion. Uh, 8700 it looks like a high price for Cage Lee, but again, in this field, it's really not. The only other guy for me to mention, because I'll be on the Ryan Palmer train with you guys and Chris Kirk, um, just mostly because you made compelling arguments. But Charlie Hoffman's the other guy. He's, he's another guy that I think you could probably put in that Keegan range and, and be okay with it. The only difference there is... He really hasn't been that good lately, but again, he's a classic ball striker. He rates out pretty well in pretty much everything. I mean, if you go like, let's say the last 50 rounds, 17th off the tee, 16th on approach, putter 31st, around the green 53rd, birdie or better gained second, uh, good drives 32nd, um, the, the par four strokes gained par three, they're all inside the top 30, 35. So Again, he's just one of those guys that he doesn't – nothing strikes you about him, but and the play recently really hasn't been that good. But, again, in this field, I feel like a guy like Charlie Hoffman um, could really be there on Sunday. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think this is a good value, especially the price for Charlie Hoffman compared to some of the guys you get in the 9K range. I think that there is some value there. So I'm aligned with that. Uh, 7K range. See, you want to kick us off here? Sure. Yeah. So I'm coming around on Luke List a little bit. So I, I'd, be, I'd be very curious. Um, I don't think Spencer mentioned him on, on Be The Number, but if either of you like him, I'd be really curious to hear what you have to say about that. His results lately haven't been very good. He tends to be, even though he can he can crush it a little bit, he tends to be better on the short courses. Um, his metrics didn't rate out super poorly to me. Um, and he's a guy that, and I'm not looking at ownership right now, but he's a guy that I'm guessing nobody's really talking about. And therefore the ownership is probably low. Uh, Harry Higgs is interesting. I mean, I, I can't believe I'm even saying it, but if you're looking for a second shot golf course guy, I mean, obviously Higgs is probably your guy. I'll probably sprinkle him in. I, I know both of you probably like him. I can't believe I'm saying his name. Michael Raziel would be like, what is even happening right now? Um, that's an old inside joke. Uh, the guy I probably like the most and who's probably going to carry some ownership, unfortunately, he might be featured in my outright or first round leader um, market that we're going to talk about in a few minutes is Henrik Norlander. Um, speaking of a guy who can pop on approach, um, he's pretty good off the tee. He can get hot with the putter. He's had some pretty good finishes lately, namely, um, what was it, fourth at the Sanderson Farms. Uh, I like him quite a bit. As we go down to the bottom of the 7K range, I might speculate on Takumi Kanaya, um, former amateur champion uh, of, of two years ago, um, Japanese as well, so that that may help. Uh, he'll certainly be more comfortable with the course in the and the uh, fairways and, and, and grass and greens and whatnot. Uh, Doug Gim and Tom Hoagie are, are the other guys I'm considering. I'm probably going to play more of Tom Hoagie than Doug Gim. Uh, but I, I, again, a guy who can pop on approach and he's going to be a good fit on a shorter course. Tom Hoagie fits that bill. I like it. I, and I, I like that there's a handful of guys that we're aligned on. Um, now, it's funny because I wasn't on Harry Higgs. And now I'm like, well, if C is playing Harry Higgs, I have to be playing Harry Higgs because <laughs> if he's if there is something that got C to come around on Harry Higgs this week, I don't care what it is. If you've come around on him, it's there. I'm I'm in now. I got to change all my lineups to make sure Harry Higgs is in every one of them because I'm not going to miss out on this boat. Uh, but uh, but for the rest of this range, I think you know I'm I'm excited that we're aligned. You know, Luke List actually graded really well on my model. You know, the the issue with Luke List is that he's really not a good putter. Um, and he's going to have to make some putts this week. So mm. that's always the case, right? And I typically – I've gotten more recently to a point of like, hey, most of these bad putting guys, I'm typically fading. But everything else lines up so well for me for Luke List in terms of price tag, um, upside, distance, all that kind of stuff, and even ownership being about 10% only. Uh, I like List. So I'm going to be in on that with you. Um, another interesting one right here at the top, that graded out really well for me is Garrick Higo. Now I know we haven't mentioned him in a long, long time and he had rightfully so. He's, he's been pretty bad. He hasn't had a, a finish worth noting in, in months, um, but things are just lining up well for him. And this course, right? I think some of his proximity numbers look good here. Uh, he is another guy that hits it pretty far. So if you're look, if you're prioritizing distance, that should be in his favor next is no ownership. I mean, his ownership is under 5%, which is, for a guy of his caliber in this field to go under 5%, under 8K, I understand the recent forms out there, and that is concerning fully. But if we're going after GPPs, these are the types of guys you need to hit on. Like, find a guy who we know he has the upside. He was dominating the Corn Ferry Tour back in the day, or the European Tour, I'm sorry. He was uh, he came into the U.S. early and won a tournament, like one of his first ones, and then he got cold. 
right? And, you know, that happens. He's he's not in his best form, but, you know, he's going to come back. He's a, he's known as a big pro- prospect. It's coming. Can I promise it this week? No, but this does seem like a good week to take a shot at it because of the field and the ownership and, you know, how he's his metrics add up. So I like Hago a lot for, from a GPP standpoint. Uh, heading down, I think you, you made some really good points on Norlander. Um, his ownership is creeping up, which concerns me. But if it stays in the teens, I'm in on him. I think his his recent form has really shown. And then toward the bottom of this tier, some guys that I'll look at, you know, Pat Perez, I think could be interesting, and Matt Jones and Sepp Straka. So Sepp Straka, I like, and he's one that he's a guy that's very hit or miss, really only a GPP play. But Matt Jones is a guy that I find to be pretty interesting here, at, at pretty low ownership. Um, He's making a lot of cuts. His upside is questionable, uh, but, you know, he hits it far. He's got a good around the green game at 7,200 and, you know, 5% ownership. This is someone I'm looking to take a couple swings at. How about you, Spencer? Who are you looking at down here in the 7K range? Well, I'm happy you brought up Higo. I wasn't going to do that, but I love your reasoning behind that. At less than 5% ownership, when I look at my model with the way that it's built, um, wouldn't play him for cash. Couldn't pay me enough money to touch him there. Uh, but as a GPP play at that ownership, I mean, he's one of the biggest movers in my model looking that way. And that's really what you're looking for in tournament type golf like this. If you can get somebody that gets hot with the putter and maybe gives you a performance that's a little bit better than you think, that's how you win all the money. And that's, so I like that. Luke List is the number one uh, player over the last 24 rounds, I believe, in this field in strokes gain T to green. Uh, I don't have as much distance uh, in my model for that stuff. So I didn't have List as a, a person that graded as a positive value for me. But I will go through, actually, um, because I think it's just good for everybody to hear. Uh, because there are a lot of positive values I have in this range, which Higo wasn't one of them. If I change it to a GPP, he does become one. But uh, this would be from largest to smallest of guys that are just positive values. And you know, ownership is going to be a decider for me in some of these spots, but Tom Hoagie, 7,000, Doug Gim, 7,000, Brendan Todd, 7,400, Pat Perez, 7,300, Harry Higgs, 7,500. I'm going to be in agreement with uh, C on that one. Brendan Steele, 7,100, Hendrick Norlander, 7,400. I love your call, uh, Joel, on Matt Jones of 7,200. And maybe if you're just throwing a random dart on a guy that's been really bad lately, Sebastian Munoz at 7,300. So that's nine of 15 that are showing a value for me. I do think Norlander is probably a better cash play. Uh, But the three I like the most of this group would be Brendan Todd, Brendan Steele, and Pat Perez, with Todd being the same range for me as Kirk, where I'm going to be massively overweight. Um, When comparing my model to ownership percentages, the best leverage plays in order of strength for the entire event would be Fleetwood, Todd, Doc Redman, James Hahn. We will get to those two in a second. Uh, Chris Kirk and Andrew Putnam. I, As far as Todd goes, I just love how he's played in his career on similar par fours as the one he has in front of him in Japan. He's the number one driver and number one putter in my model. He's been rotating between earning and losing with his approach over the last few months. But when he has gained 2.6 at the Fortinet, 4.6 at the Wyndham. Those are courses that benefit finding fairways. Obviously, Joel, I mean, that's not something that you're building into your model, but that's what makes DFS golf really intriguing because it doesn't make my way right. It doesn't make your way right with it, but that's how an edge is built over time is that you build a model that you believe in, you go with it, and you know more often than not, you hope to be correct with it. So uh, Todd is one of my favorite plays. We know when he gets himself in contention, he can win. He's going to be sub 5%. So 
I really like him here. I'm going to have so much of him in Kirk in every single market that it's going to be a, a lot with it, and that's going to decide my week. But uh, that's that's where I'm at in this range for the most part. I think you can – I think Hoagie's ownership is kind of starting to get a little bit questionable. I don't really want to, you know, 15 to 20% Tom Hoagie. Uh, Doug Gim, we'll see where he goes with that. But, uh, yeah, Matt Jones is kind of a contrarian guy down there. I, I like where your head's at with that too. I love it. I love it. And every time you guys say Tom Hoagie, it makes me want to eat a hoagie. I just want yes. a sandwich. All right. Maybe maybe we'll do a thing where if Tom Hoagie wins, we'll buy all of our fans hoagies and we'll eat them together. That's probably not going to happen, but it was fun. It was a fun idea. Uh, go down to <laughs> – well, speaking speaking of eating though, um, preview because we're gonna. I've decided for PGA Talent next week. I'm just gonna like rapid fire questions. He's just gonna have to answer them like real quick, and I'm gonna have like 15 prepared, like it's like a quiz show or something. And one of my questions, speaking of eating, is going to be rank the following candy bars: Snickers, Twix, Kit Kat. So there is a right answer, by the way. Um, but I want to get your answers first. So, so Spencer, we're gonna start with you, and then we're gonna move to Joel. I. Uh... I like all three of them. I will say that. I guess my favorite would be – it used to be Twix back in the day. I probably would put that second now. Um, Snickers would be third and uh, the other one first. Okay. Before I tell uh, – it was Snickers, Twix, Kit Kat. So Kit Kat's first? Yeah, Kit Kat's, uh, Twix, Snickers. Uh, okay, Joel, I mean, go ahead. I'll tell you whether you're right or wrong in a second. But yeah, there is a correct answer, and it's really actually not that difficult. It's clearly yeah. Twix one, Snickers two, Kit Kat three. That's a, you're that's so a, close. You're so close. It's clear. No, 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 no. There actually is a clear answer, and and I, I know PGA Town is not watching, so because he's uh the reason he had a conflict, he has to be uh he had to be out today. But uh the actual correct answer is Snickers, Twix, mm. Kit Kat. Yeah, Joel, you were really close. Spencer, I'm sorry. Uh, you might have to run a model for that because See, you were way off. I, think I, I had the second one a, correct, I believe. I flipped yes. the other two. Yeah. I think Snickers is more of a cash play than a GPP. That's true. That actually, <laughs> no, no, no. In, all, in all fairness, that's actually a really good point. No, GPPs, you got to go with either Twix or Kit Kat, yeah. right? Yeah. Snickers is yeah. safe. You're never going to go wrong with a Snickers, right? It's right. Safe. It's a tough question, though. I, I like all three of them. I like. I don't think there's a wrong choice between those, but uh, I guess that's why you asked the question. They're all similar, kind of, in that sense, in my opinion. Yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah. No, I, I agree with the cash GPP play. Okay. So well, that we'll save we'll save the questions for another day. Um, were you asking me something, Joel? Six K range? Is that where we were going? Uh, we're going to the 6K range. I'm going to kick us off in the 6K range because I have a ton of plays here. Right? I am just really going to break this down for you. Uh, my 6K range consists of Chesson Hadley. That's it. I'm not touching anyone else. <laughs> One guy. The That's only fair. guy I'll play down here, is, and he's barely in the 6K range. Um, I like him. I think his recent form speaks to me. That's really it. I don't even love you know his proximity numbers and things like that, but um, – I think he's been playing well, and it's six, the six K range, at, and like it looks like at three percent ownership, which I don't know why no one's touching him. That's super low for him. I think he's definitely interesting, but other than that, I, I just don't think you need to go here, especially if I'm you know, if my theory is these top tier is just too high owned. So if I'm not going to go to the top tier, I don't need to dig down this low. I can be way more balanced. So that's it for me. How about you, see Who are you looking at here in the six K range? Hadley's so interesting because a couple of years ago, he was immaculate with the the approach play in particular. And then like the wheels fell off. But to your point, 
I mean, listen, he's made four out of six cuts for which for Chesson Hadley is actually like pretty good because it was a complete train wreck for like a good, you know, 12 months in a row. So yeah, that's an interesting play there, uh, especially given the ownership. Yeah. I have four plays that I wrote down. I think there's only two that I'm actually going to play. I think Matthew Naismith is interesting just because classically he's a good ball striker and that game might be coming back just a bit. Again, that, that's not one of the ones I'm actually going to play, though. I just felt like I needed to point him out because we had um, one of the Wind Daily subscribers was in Discord earlier, and um, I was telling him to pivot off Sung Kang, who I don't hate, but I, I thought maybe Matthew Naismith might be the better play, maybe the better course fit, the better play over four days. So um, the other guy that I'm going to give you that I'm probably not going to play that I think is interesting, he's min-priced at 6000 and it's Wesley Bryan. Again, a guy who used to be excellent on approach and with the ball striking, he wasn't really great. You're never really great off the tee. But again, if it's a second shot course, Wes Bryan's in play. The only problem is, you know, he is coming off an injury and prior to the injury, he wasn't very good either. He had one or two tournaments where he was okay, but something happened. And it might have been, you know, I, I don't know. Do you know what his injury was? Uh, it was some sort of arm issue. I don't know if it, it was relating to, I don't think it related to like his golf game or anything like that, but I think he had some sort of broken arm or something like that. And this is his first tournament back since that injury is my understanding. Before you mentioned his injury, I was literally just going to ask, I was like, wait a minute. He used to be a sleeper 6K guy I used to like. And then I haven't seen his name in months. I'm like, what happened to him? And then, you're, oh, he got hurt. So, right. If you're in a big tournament, um, like you're throwing a dart into like 150 max, I think guys like Wes Bryan, you might want to throw in. The two guys that I'm actually going to play, Kyle Stanley, who was the worst short game player in this entire field, most likely. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's actually true, at least for the guys that we have uh, data on. But his ball striking is so good. I mean, he's literally, I, I think just if you look at the ball striking metric alone, I think he's like seventh in this field, last 50 rounds. I mean, it's really that good. But the round, again, if you if you work with the theory that maybe he can get away with a bad putter this particular tournament, this venue, Kyle Stanley at 6,200 makes a lot of sense. But the real guy that I really love is Sean Norris, who was a late ad because Paul Casey withdrew. Norris just came off a win at the Japan Open. He won by four strokes. He's He plays at like on the Japan Tour. So he's very familiar with these courses, with this venue you with um with the greens and whatnot uh and honestly he's also he also just happens to have a good track record which is why he's 86th in the world to give you some context i think keegan bradley is 84th in the world now i know the world golf rankings are, are kind of finicky and the turnover is is a little you know it takes a while for for players to fall but that's pretty good this is a south african guy 86th in the world coming off a win in good form and i say south african because by the way charles schwartzel Guess what his world ranking is? He's pretty good, right? He's 91st. This guy's five spots ahead of 91st, and he's min-priced. Uh, just, it just seems to me that it's probably a misprice because of the late ad, and it's a perfect guy to jam into your lineups. If you want to jam in, let's say, the contrarian Tommy Fleetwood play with Xander Schauffele or Xander and Colin Morikawa, or you know, pick your poison there, Joaquin Neiman, whatever it is, um, you can make that work with Sean Norris or a guy like Kyle Stanley. I think that makes a lot of sense. I like that. I'm sold. I, be honest with you, it was not on my radar, and that was pretty convincing. So now I'm thinking I got to change some things up and figure to fit this guy in my lineups. Uh, Spence, how about you? Who are you looking at down here? Uh, the one thing I will add to Sean Norris also. So one of the things I like to do is just look at Vegas pricing, see where they are in the top, you know, 20, 30, 40 market. Who are their head-to-head -head counterparts that they have? Norris is in a range that is nowhere near the $6,000 golfers. So I think C is on to something that he's mispriced. I, I think you would have a different price tag for him if he wasn't a late add to it. But uh, 
Joel, I kind of agree with you. I don't think you have to be in this range. Um, I will rapid fire off some of these choices though of just guys that piqued my interest. Doc Redman at 6,800, Roger Sloan, 6,800, Andrew Putnam, 6,700, Chan Kim, 6,500. I think you can make an RBC Heritage comp for this event, uh, or at least I kind of can make that with the distance equation there, which means Satoshi Kodaira is worth a look at 6,400 after winning that event a few years ago. James Hahn, 6,300. Adam Long, 6,300. If you want a kamikaze, throw a dart on someone with no form, but possesses the ability to go off. Uh, Kazuki Higa at 6,500 showed value in my model. Uh, Scott Vincent at 6,400 showed value in my model. And Haikuya Hoshina at 6,200 showed some value in my model. Uh, I agree with Sia on Kyle Stanley at 6,200. And then Wesley Bryan and Sean Norris, as has been mentioned, at the stone minimum price of 6000 I think you can at least make an argument for them. Now, I don't mean to be mean, right? I just am confused. How can Kyle Stanley be such a bad putter? Like, it's like, it's every, everything else is so good. It's like, it doesn't make sense how he's so bad. It's like, he's such, like, honestly, do you think, like, one of us could just putt better than him? He's that bad at putting? Because, like, everything else he does so well, like, just to understand how he's so bad at never no. winning tournaments. Let me think about it. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I feel bad for him. Like, I, wanna, I want to root for him. I keep telling myself, like, listen, a professional can't be this bad at putting for this long. But he can, and he has. So, he has been. <laughs> and it's not its not just the putting. From what I recall, the, the around the green game is almost as horrific. It, to be honest, guys like that who are so good at like the, the fundamentals of just ball striking, you, you need a sports psychologist. If he doesn't already have one in tow, like that's exactly what he needs because it doesn't make sense for him to excel so much at, at – what presents like 60 to 70% of the golf game in, in terms of off the tee and on approach. And then just when, when you get down to it, you, you can be that bad. It, it, it's a mental block more than anything. It's like, it's funny. Cause it's like, you know, we saw it with Ben Simmons and Shaq. Like they can't make free throws. Right. But like, they're still like pretty good basketball players, even without the ability to make free throws. Like Kyle Stanley has missed a lot of his cuts. Like he just can't even compete. And his only fly is around the green game too. But like, his, his driver and his irons are as better than a lot of these guys that are doing way better than him. And he literally just crumbles when he gets close. Imagine how discouraging it is to, you know, hit it in the fairway off the tee and then you, your approach shot and you get it to like, whatever, six to eight feet every time and you miss every single time. Imagine <laughs> just walking to the next hole every single time being like, I just had two perfect shots and I made par or bogey because I can't putt. It, it, the, just I just can't imagine that the toll that takes on you. I mean, he is everybody who who has uh, metrics available to you. Please look at his putting stats. It is remarkable. It makes no sense. I, I know he's not in the tournament this week, but Aaron Wise was going through a similar trajectory yeah. like that, and he changed his putter and went with the long putter, and his results look really good lately. So it might just be a simple switch, but you would imagine that Stanley and his team have tried different things out. So yes. I don't know what's going on with him. Well, hopefully they tried something out um, like – a few weeks ago or a few months ago, because he will be featured in either my round one uh, leader or my outright market or both. You so. know, I, I'm in. I'm rooting for him. When he's going to figure this putter out, and we're going to be the first ones on it, and he's going to make one of us a lot of money. So we're on Kyle Stanley here. Let's get this putter working, buddy. All right. <laughs> on to the outrights. Uh, Spencer, you want to kick us off in the outright market? Yeah, I, I kind of have a big outright card this week. Um, 
I'm going to skip the top of the board with uh, Morikawa and Xander, but I got Joaquin Neiman at 28 to one before Paul Casey removed himself from the field. I also grabbed Tommy Fleetwood at 25 to one uh, before that number dropped. The rest of these, I believe, are available though. Uh, Chris Kirk at 50 to one, Ryan Palmer at 55 to one, Brendan Todd 80 to one, and then my two dart throws: Doc Redman 160 to one, and James Hahn 210 to one. Ooh, I like it. I like it. Anytime you have a 200 and something to one, you know, it gets the juices flowing. Yeah. Uh, see, who are you looking at here in the outright market? I like uh, James Hahn's kind of a good course fit. I wasn't, was it the, um, the waste management where James Hahn, I think he was my secret weapon where he took the lead on the back nine and then just choked it. Was that James Hahn? I believe you're correct. I'm with pretty that, sure yeah. it was. He was, he was the secret weapon that, by the way, for everybody listening, there's no secret weapon because there's no cut condensed field, not this week, but stay tuned next week. I'll have one, but yeah, anyway, so that was just a year ago. I mean, he's got, he's got some upside there. That's interesting. Outright. Okay. So um, I had Neiman down as well, actually at, at 22 to one, um, which again, I'm getting the bad number there. Uh, Luke list. Oh no. Let me go with uh, Keegan Bradley at 35 to one Luke list, 60 to one Henrik Norlander, 65 to one. And Kyle Stanley at 150 to one. I love it. I love it. Um, I'm, I'm going to keep it pretty simple. I think one of my longer shots that I like are Gary Kigo at 80 to one. Um, I, I love this player for both outright and first round leader, but I prefer him for the first round leader. So I'm going to save him for there. Um, I'll go with Luke List at 60 to 1, Ryan Palmer at 55 to 1, and my more kind of favorite to win, I like Jonathan Vegas at 28 to 1. Uh, now let's go to the first round leader since I already kind of teased one. Uh, I'll start us off at the first round leader market. The, the guy I was teasing that I like, and it's a guy that I would go as far as to say is probably one of the most mentioned guys that we mentioned on the show for first round leader, mainly Sia. And if it is a guy that you're already going to say, I apologize. But I think we already know who it is. It's Tom Hoagie uh, at 100 to 1. Um, again, I think we've said recently on one of our shows, he just tends to show up on day one uh, and, you know, maybe not consistently play for four days, but he definitely, I don't, I never look at the metrics, but I would bet a lot of money that the metrics show he is better in the day one than he is the rest of, of the four days. So Tom Hoagie at 100 to 1, I, I do like that number. Some of the, the higher value plays that I like here are Pat Perez at 65 to 1. Uh, and I think uh, Charlie Hoffman at 35 to one for a first round leader is interesting. How about you, Spence? Uh, Kyle Stanley at 95 to one, Pat Perez at 65 to one, Brendan Todd at 60 to one. I'm going to go with Doc Redman at 75 and James Hahn at 100. I want to have them in both markets. And I am going to take Raikuya Hoshina 100 to one. I love it. I love it. See ya. Tell me, how, who are we breaking the bank on this week? Well, uh, we're going to start with uh, Jonathan Vegas at 35 to 1. I like your outright play on him. I have him in, in a one and done with the first cut gang. He's my one and done this week. But uh, 35 to 1, first round leader. That's fair. Uh, Luke List at 50 to 1. Tom Hoagie at 65 to 1. This is, believe it or not, on DraftKings, he's all the way down to 65. So I'm going to, I'll probably, I don't even use DraftKings. I just happen to look at it. Um, Wait, so, are you doing first round leaders? Yeah, I'm looking. Oh, you know what? I apologize. I messed up. I gave the outright number. 
Oh, for yeah. the first one there. So that was my bet. Yes, sixty-five million. That seems more accurate. Still, still a good number for the record. Um, Kyle Stanley at seventy-five to one. Again, Spencer got it at ninety-five to one. But again, I'm just looking at DraftKings here, uh, seventy-five to one. And then, okay, so here's the breaking news. Okay, a couple things here. So PGA Tout's coming on with us next week. As you saw on Twitter, we invited him on, and then he told us about his his enormous fee to come on the show. So we need to generate some cash to pay this fee because I asked Jason, of course, uh, president, CEO of Wind Daily. I asked him to front the money. He's like, no, you didn't clear it with me first. So I'm kind of in a bind, like I'm con- contractually obligated. So it's really important that we hit this first round leader. Now, I just gave you four names, and like they're you know, good, good chances that those guys hit. But there's a great chance that the following guy hits. So your leader after round one at the Zozo Championship, we've talked about him a lot today. He's 55 to one. So I'm going to put a lot, a lot of money on him because what I want to do with PGA Tout is I want to be able to give him his $1,000 fee, but I want to be able to tip him too beforehand. So he comes on the show with just a lot of energy. Like, man, these guys are awesome. They gave me extra money. I didn't even ask for it. But truth is I want to have the cash to pay him in the first place. So Henrik Norlander at 55 to one will be your first round leader at the Zozo championship. We'll be able to pay all our debts. So invest all your money in this pay, pay all your you know credit card bills. I'll be able to pay PGA tout. Uh, Joel, what do you think you're going to spend the money on? That's a really good question. Um, I don't know yet, uh, but here's the thing. I, I, it seems so obvious, right? That I'm actually probably going to just try and put all of it on there. So it's really just hit or miss. Either I hit and I'm super rich, or I miss, and I hope you have a guest room. Yeah, and Spencer, yeah, right. No, totally, and you can stay with me. I don't have a lot of room here, but you can okay. totally stay with me. I totally get it, um, at least for like a couple of days you can stay with me, and then you know, <laughs> sure. we'll have to uh, have a discussion about maybe the next week's first round leader, and then we'll figure something out from there. But Spencer, what are you going to spend your first round leader money on? Oh, by the way, Joel, if you, don't, if you can't think of anything, a boat. Everybody's happy on a boat. Spencer, go. Hmm. Well, I'll say this. I mean, the one way we can do it, and I mean, we're, we have a collaborative effort here. Just a lot of more guests on. I mean, I guess we're not going to have like the PGA Tout $1,000 uh, total of that, but we can have a lot of people on every single week for that. And uh, PGA Tout will probably want to come on again after that. So we can pay $1,000 for that again. And it's so obvious now that you say Henrik Norlander on it. I don't know why I didn't think of that at first. Right. Yeah. yeah, you feel dumb. You feel yeah. silly, right? Yeah. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Spence, I have to push back on that. My pushback is this. We are giving out so many winners that pretty soon we're going to start charging people just to be able to come on the show. They don't. We don't pay them. They pay us just for the honor to get to talk to us. So PGA Tout, we'll pay him his fee. That's fine. But moving forward, we want to get paid. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. This is a one-time offer then for that's PGA it. Tout. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. It's a one-time offer. Maybe we can get Harry Higgs to come onto the show. How about Ooh. that? What do you Ooh. think he charges? If, Harry, if Harry's ever listened to our show before, there's zero. <laughs> yeah, zero percent chance. That's true. Never. Oh, that's awesome. That's I love it, guys. Uh, that's it. We give you all the – listen, it's like, a, it's like a test, right? When you're preparing for a test, you want to somehow find a way. Like, I wish I knew what the answer – what the questions were so I can study and prepare. We just gave you all the answers. Now you got to do it. It's go take a test. You're all going to make a ton of money. Come back. Let us know how much you won next week. We can't wait to see it. The only thing left I can think of is see ya. Yeah. So uh, I, I guess you were referring to, of course, um, you know, PGA Tout coming on. So everybody tune in next week. And uh, God, one other thing, uh, sports.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.